Welcome to a very special episode of the Pilot TV podcast. You might argue this show is always pretty Belen centric, but we're taking that to entirely new levels today with an episode dedicated to TV's biggest and most glorious Belens, The Roys. As we spend the next god knows how long taking a deep dive into all things succession. And to help with that, we'll also have a few of The Roys themselves on the show to help shed some light on that matter as well. But before we get to them, let's introduce Pilot TV's very own band of Bellends, who I will be subjecting to my very own game of Bore on the Floor. I am joined not only by Pilot TV's regular Roman and Shiv, Boyd Hilton and Beth Webb, but also by Empire's very own Tom, the one and only Nick the Semlin. Oink for your sausages, piggies. Oink for your sausages. Oink, oink, indeed. Uh, I've decided the sad, the sad I am without you guys is less than the sad I am with you. So I've joined you. Very excited to be here. Yes, this is, this is your this is your Pilot TV debut, isn't it, Nick? You could say it's my pilot. It is. It On is pilot. the Nick to Semlin pilots. I'll be crashing it into the nearest rock. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> you went for Tom, Nick being Tom rather than, say, Cousin Greg. Yeah. Hey. I, well, I feel <laughs> now that Nick is... I don't have the height. Yeah, I would have gone with Cousin Greg, but I feel now to recognise that Nick is now editor of Empire, I feel like yeah, I, can't, I could enough. only mock him to a certain level or it just <laughs> becomes a little bit undermining. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I thought I'd upgrade him from Cousin Greg to Tom. Yeah, because Tom is actually Tom is in charge of the entire media um, element, really. But crucially yeah. also a twat, so actually it works. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So... Yeah. I'll, I'll accept it. Good. Nice. I'll accept good. it. I think that's good. I think it's good. <laughs> so you're psyched. You're very excited. How are you feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Slightly exhausted because I, I mainlined um, as many of these as I could prior to this in very quick, <laughs> shall we say, succession. Mm. Uh, and, See what did <laughs> and so, um, yeah, excited, but also afraid and stressed, which I guess is, is very much in line yeah, with what the show has to say. That works 100%. Yeah. Uh, we should point out that we will not be dropping spoiler bombs for season three of Succession, apart from the first episode, which has already aired. I think we can talk about that. Uh, but we probably will be getting into the plot points for Succession seasons one and two. Uh, so we will talk about seasons one and two because I feel you really can't discuss the show unless you can discuss the show. But we won't ruin season three, will we, Boyd? Even though you've seen um, seven episodes. Yeah, Beth and I have both seen seven you episodes have, yeah. that yeah. HBO kindly made available to critics yes um uh but so i i i mean i will refer to that's fine we'll refer fine. to some things that yeah. happen um but without without the spoilerage obliquely obliquely i think that's entirely fair but let's before we get into this all let's start with how each of you got into the show so when did you first watch succession and what crucially did you make of it when you did well because i am um tv's boyd hilton tv's boyd hilton <laughs> and i um i i am a co-host of the Pilot TV podcast and I write about television for Empire and Heat Magazine. Do you? I watch every single new programme. That That's where out. I know you from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it would have been weird for me not to watch um, Succession Fair. as soon as it was made available by the lovely people at HBO and Sky. Um, but I would say that I'm a huge fan of Jesse Armstrong anyway, going back to Peep Show and pretty much everything he's ever worked on mm. I think has been of a certain quality in terms of the writing and the characters. Um, and so I think I, I remember being fascinated by the fact that he was going to, this was going to be his, his project, um, his big new project um, for HBO. The idea of him making a show for HBO with HBO production values and mm. all of that, all, all of that entails about a huge, big family run media conglomerate mm. is is inherently uh, a very exciting proposition and it did not let us down i think it was immediately apparent as soon as you watched the pilot episode that this was going to be something special uh, but like many people um 
I, I think I really enjoyed it to start with and I really, um, you know, I embraced every element of it. But it was definitely kind of halfway through season one where it went from, for me, uh, you know, really entertaining, enjoyable, brilliantly written and made show to being, oh, this is actually something special halfway through that first season. And then it's, it's gone on an upwards trajectory and it's now it's now full on pop cultural phenomenon that everyone loves and embraces apart from you. <laughs> and, um, you know, I went to the, uh, and it's reached almost for me, it's like, like in my mind, it's reached a climax of, of, of almost preposterous um, cultural significance. When I went to the London Film Festival premiere of episodes one and two last week, and I'm not kidding you. The atmosphere was a. a, a I asked in my interviews with the, with the cast. I mentioned it to probably to, to most of them because I had the same. I repeated the same questions. Apologies, listeners, to many of them. <laughs> but I genuinely wanted to know what they thought of the reaction, and it yeah. was like being at a rock concert mixed with going to an Arsenal match for me. <laughs> match. And there was a hysteria mm. from the crowd, from these thousands of people at the Royal Festival Hall that I have not witnessed before. It was even greater than the than the hysteria at the say Avengers Endgame screening you know where all Steady. these marvel people no it was i'm sorry it was it, it, because a they came on the cast came on to introduce the the screening and people were yelling screaming at them like roman particularly i'd say roman was the there was a woman behind me yelling roman all the way through the whole fucking thing <laughs> sorry about that but yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, i know you love him Ro um, roman is very much the iron man he if is. we're going with the avengers yes. analogy 100 he's, he's he the really tony is. stark of the group isn't he definitely definitely yeah which i think he's actually mentioned in interviews as well um so that i was i was amazed and stunned by this the atmosphere so people love identifying with their uh, 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 love identifying with the characters and kind of expressing who their favorite characters mm -hmm. are so it's become above and beyond a normal tv show it's now something quite extraordinarily um just massive in terms it's of a cultural event it's it? a cultural it really event is. but also the fan engagement is mm -hmm. at marvel levels of you know thrill and excitement at the prospect of having this thing now to watch these nine new episodes and then at this event London Film Festival to see these people arrive it, it, so that really brought home to me what the, a fucking huge thing it is yeah there's a bit in uh, the first episode of series season three where Cousin Greg is talking about memes and yeah. I saw that turned into a meme right. on the night it aired so yeah. it's just it's, <laughs> yeah. it's gone crazy but it's interesting because the ratings are not huge are they they're, they're no. getting higher but they're yeah. pr still pretty small yeah the premiere was the biggest uh, was the highest rated episode so far And but you're right the first series wasn't was, wasn't particularly big at all it, it is it is an example to to stand back from it, but I think it may get to the point in this season with I think with everyone talking about it in the world or certainly you know in our worlds, um, I think it may the ratings will go up and up and up. That's my guess. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely similar to things like The Wire, which you know mm -hmm. was officially voted best um, show of the 21st century in a poll um, that we all <laughs> some of us took part in. Um, the Wire ne never got high ratings at all. I mean, mm -hmm. The Wire was was very very much mm -hmm. a minority you know um, a show that was appreciated and loved by a small sect, mainly critics, mainly critics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's not quite on, uh, uh, like that. I think actually Succession is much more accessible, if you like, and, ha and is, is achieving more of a mass of a popularity. But compared to, I don't know, loads and loads of shows that are much bigger yeah. than it um, that are on right now on American TV. Yeah, it's not a huge f ratings phenomenon. But I think it is. it has achieved a massive cultural significance. 
which is yeah. only going to get. The weirdest news story I've I've read recently is there is a, a sex toy which activates <laughs> itself whenever Greg is on screen. This is a this is a new invention wow. apparently. Um, so that, do with that information what you will. You're going to have to give okay, me some. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't. You've got to give what? the details. I, don't, I hurry. I kept on scrolling. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go in and, and see more information. Well, you, but you just add to basket and then you just moved on. You didn't. I've <laughs> okay, got a couple. Enough. You know, you can never. You can never have, be <laughs> too. There is a line isn't there in the news is where um, is it? Um, I think. Um, Kendall says, stick, it, stick the thermometer up your ass um, and take the temperature of, of, of yes. you know, whatever. Yeah. Yes. So that's yes. now actual succession merch. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if whether that is, if you have to stick it up your ass, wherever this thing is. And, and <laughs> Greg, Greg tells you But apparently this is a thing. If you're, there, there must be some passionate Greg fans out there. Wow. And oh, they, they want to they get more immersed in, in his scenes. Yeah. So there you go. Greg Sprinkles. Greg Sprinkles. Oh, God. <laughs> Dear God. Next, Senate, when did you first encounter this? Um, well, I went to the Toronto Film Festival a couple of years in a row and they that coincided with when the show was airing and I just decided I was going to check it out as the thing, you know, after a long day, a hard day of watching films and titting about, uh, I would watch this new show. And so I would go back every night and watch another couple of episodes and got completely hooked on it. And um, then I just revis- started revisiting it for season three, but... I really enjoyed the second watch more. I think it takes a while to click no. into what the show is because it's quite strange. It's it's dramatic but and very heightened, but also just hilarious and absurd. So it, it took me a while to kind of get the, the vibe of it and get figure out who the, all the characters are. But it's interesting. Like the, It does take a while to heat up, but the dynamic between all the characters is pretty much there from the beginning. It's, oh, yeah. it's, yeah. it's a proper world that it drops you into. Um but yeah, it's fantastic. I, I think season two, I haven't seen season three yet apart from the first episode, but season two is so terrific yeah. and full of action and, and intrigue. And obviously the ending of season two is phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm now whatever a succession fan is called. Yeah, what's the name, Boyd? What's the collective noun for? I don't you know, know, actually. Succession heads. Succession heads, oh, yeah. Like a Roy... Roy something. I'm a Roy boy. A Roy oh. boy. <laughs> All right. I'll take that. Yeah. Roy boys. Yeah. Uh, Beth, are you a Roy girl? Well, we know you are, otherwise you wouldn't be on this podcast. But uh, explain to us how you became one. So this comes to me through word of mouth, actually. I mean, I loved... All of like Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong stuff, and this obviously pulls in so many of the stronger parts of of the work he's done before. Like I said on the podcast last week, I love to listen for the Superhands lines in Succession <laughs> because they're buried in there, but they're very inherently Jesse Armstrong and his voice and his tastes, and I love that about him. But it comes to me through through word of mouth, just because I I have friends who watch a lot of television, and I famously didn't have one <laughs> until recently. Um, but I would watch it with. Um, a friend and journalist, Sophie Monks Kaufman, she writes for Empire sometimes. And we do something called Successions, where I'd go around on a Sunday and we'd just sit down, hunker down, and we watch them back to back. Um and then have like a debrief afterwards. And it was such a wonderful way to watch it, just ricocheting off somebody else and sharing in the like misery and momentum and malice of this show together. And there's actually somewhere we shared it recently, there is some a friend of ours who'd already seen it video just watching the last scene and we were just I was like clambering over her (laughs) with the like sheer excitement and like and giddiness of what was happening in front of me on the screen so yeah it was word of mouth uh and then it just became a thing all of its own to me and I I adore it and this series is just continuing everything that I love about the show only ramped up by about two or three levels which I didn't think was was possible but but here we are 
Is that on YouTube? So can we see your reaction, <laughs> reaction video on YouTube too? It's on it's on my Instagram and oh, come um, on, I'll to... I'll find I'll Excellent. find the raw file. Send us the TikTok. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no. Too too old for TikTok, I'm afraid. Um but yeah, it was um it is, you're you're completely right. It's it's a it's a phenomenon and and uh it is exhausting, but in mm. the best best possible it way. makes you feel a bit better about your life as well this show, because, <laughs> oh, yeah. because because it's like these super like like monstrously rich people mm. who have absolutely everything they could possibly want and they're all absolutely miserable yeah. and just awful people and so it makes you feel a bit better about you know, definitely not uh, having that and i think uh, also i think it makes you feel better about the f- i think it makes you feel much more cynical about luxury lifestyles yeah and um uh one of the people interviewed mentioned this that if so what because because obviously they, they have this incredible accuracy to the to the wealth advisors and all that who tell them things like you know um they don't wear coats because they need to they they, they need to just go from their luxury mansion into a car to the airport mm. to the private jet and there's no point are they going to be in the outside for longer than four, four seconds so that was an early note from the from the advisors that you don't they don't need to wear heavy coats at all because they just don't need it and the fact that there's all someone around wherever they go to bring them from one car to another and to put them to, to actually place them in their world mm. and to the like um logan's phone like at one point in episode one, i think he goes where's my fucking phone it's all because someone's not you don't he doesn't get doesn't deal with the messiness of actually having to hold a phone <laughs> someone places it in his hand but all that but all those elements but i i suddenly feel like i wouldn't want that level of luxury i'd find it embarrassing and excruciating because i'm watching it being shown how empty and soulless mm. And pathetic, kind of it all is really. So I think it's a bit like the White Lotus. You see the White Lotus where it met, I feel I have, when I finished watching White Lotus, I thought I'm not sure if I even want to go to a luxury resort ever again <laughs> because I'm going to be worried about the the the, the staff yeah. and what they have to go through. Yeah. And with Succession, I feel like I'm not sure I'd want to be a multi-zillionaire and having these people weigh on me hand and foot because it's kind of awful. And that and it captures that awfulness. And it seems stressful. It just does seem I stressful. Do. I would yeah. like to point out that in true Roy fashion, Boyd just dropped the mother of all humble brags. I just Did don't I? think I could ever go to a, a sort of seven-star luxury resort again because yeah. I just feel too bad doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I have to go to Turtle Bay Resort in Hawaii one more time, I will lose it. Just can't deal with it. But while we're on the subject of truly terrible people, before we go on, uh, let's hear from the big dog himself, the patriarch of the family, Roy. Like Cousin Greg, we sent Boyd for a face-to-face audience with the legendary Brian Cox to see what humiliations could be visited upon him, uh, and most importantly, to see if he would call Boyd a cunt. (laughs) Brian Cox. Uh, Brian, um, I was at the London Film Festival on Friday, the screening of the first two episodes, and it was like a rock concert. I was just saying that. What? I mean, it was exactly, I mean, apparently people were fainting. I mean, some woman was fainting, uh, or some woman fainted. I, I, I've never experienced, uh, my, life, my wife said that. She said, Brian, this is like a rock concert. Yeah. I, 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 I just was, I mean, I was very proud, particularly because I'm a Brit, so I was very proud of their reaction and their intelligence. They were so sharp and they were getting things so quick. I mean, there was, there was a moment which passed everybody by, when I get into the car and Matthew gets out, you know, yes. talking to Shiv and he, and of course got a huge laugh. Yes. And 
And nobody noticed that when we did it, didn't think it was going to be funny. But they were extraordinary. And it was an extraordinary evening. I've never witnessed an evening quite like that. Yeah. I suppose a couple of years ago, and, and you, it, it was, the show had become, in the middle and towards the end of season two, was becoming a phenomenon. But now it's like one of the biggest pop cultural things yeah. out there. Does yeah. it? Did you ever suspect it might be this big? I, you know, I had a feeling about it. I, had a, I, I got a kind of a sort of premonition when, I, when it was sent to me by... When it was when it came to my agent and uh, my manager rather, and he said that there's this show, and the one I had it was Jesse, and because of, well, the thing that they've never seen over there, which is in the thick of it, you know, I just thought this could be extraordinary, and then that and the combination of Adam McKay, who is, you know, SNL chief writer at one point, and the and the Upright Citizens Brigade, which he started the improv group, so that that whole kind of combination of of of, of, of talents, I just thought this. I think this has got it. so straight away. I knew, and also the fact that it's. It's classical. It's it's archetypal. It's it's Lear. It's you know it's every kind of major sort of figure who has a family and, 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 and you know Dallas you know dynasty all of that. So there's that element to it as well, and it's also based on the fact that we do have these families. You know we've just witnessed four years of these people who do not deserve any time of day, and we've seen given have been given massive time of day, and hopefully they've faded forever and we will never see them again but you can never see ever <laughs> indeed yeah. there is a more political element I feel like of season three as well that delving into the way the Roy's influence American politics that was a fascinating slightly new emphasis this mm-hmm. time well it's true and it, it, that is certainly true of the way it's you know, in American politics uh, is in a particularly bad way. I mean, it's really not at all healthy and uh, and it's also because it's all ruled by the dollar and this is the thing that that money has become the god, you know, and and you can understand it in the way the fact that for a lot of people the whole notion of God has failed, you know, and so that they look to substitute. I, I just don't think I think they should give up, give them a bit more of a break or her a bit more of a break, you know, but but at the moment we're sort of lost, and that's and that's also why the show is that's why. I think there's a sort of gladiatorial element, you know, it's a, it's a bit like the Colosseum, the, you know, the Romans got so kind of corrupt and, you know, the way they, that the whole games were run. And I think there's an element of that in succession. It's so reflective of the, the horrific elements of our society. Can you put your finger on how, I, I'm always amazed by how incredibly authentic it feels. Every scene feels you completely believe, not just the surroundings of what's mm. going on, but everything the characters say. And sometimes it's quite heightened and, you know, um, incredibly witty, but you, you, you make us believe that. Can you put your finger on how Jesse Armstrong and the writers and the crew managed to make it feel I, so real? Well, I think they be because they keep it rooted. You know, I mean, Jesse himself is one of the most graceful people I know. I mean, he's he's so rooted as a man. He's so unaffected by things, and particularly by the the kind of success. He's kind of kept his. I mean, he he, he he's he's an extraordinary man. He's he's not swayed by anything. He's constant. Both him and Tony and and Lucy, you know, they're a phenomenal team, and we owe it all to them. You know, but you know, the first, and that's the great thing about. This culture, especially when you grow up in drama, is it's about the writer. It's always about the writer, and of course, if the writer is given 
his or her head, they can do the most extraordinary stuff. And also this this link, this new element that's come be that's between, you know, it's neither dramedy nor is it comedy nor is it full. It's this fusion that they've created, which is so unique to, you know, you know, Jesse, Amanda, and Nucci. They've they've done it. They've 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 sort of broken through a, a barrier, which is great. You know, when you think about the the writing of the sixties, broke through a different kind of barrier. You know, uh, the angry young man period, and we've now got to the sort of uh, um, comically frustrated person. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel, are they, and are they writing more towards you as actors? Well, I feel particularly like we sit in season three, we see Logan at peak anger and fury. And I think it, we, it's so entertaining to watch you it's doing very, that. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I ask them to be, to kind of be careful that you don't shoot your bolt too much as Logan. But it, what is extraordinary is the extreme to which Logan is pushed without having a stroke, another stroke. And uh, we'll see that as it culminates, as the as the season three culminates. I, I think some of the most exciting stuff is yet to come, uh -huh. you know, and the best the best is for the last. And that's a great quality of the film. Oh, amazing. The show. A couple of years ago, you said that people come up to you and up to, they like you to tell them to fuck off. Yeah. Isn't, I see the C word now if it's being used more yeah. by you. And now are, they, are people now ask you to call them a cunt? No. Americans don't. Can I be the first? Yes. <laughs> you can. No, Americans are funny because, um, as I was saying earlier, you know, they were, they'd sooner um, bleep their mothers than call, call somebody a C. And that's, I remember when I did a play uh, years and years ago, but, but where I played a critic, and I had this line, and the, the and the and the critic's there, and you're sitting next to him, and he's probably a C, and I remember the kind of <gasps> that came from the audience, you know, because and I thought, oh, well, that's odd, they, they, they can't deal with the C, and yet that's actually a rather good word if you if you look at its origins, you know, it's a very, it's actually a rather celebratory word, whereas. There's nothing celebratory about beep off. <laughs> no, and you use it brilliantly now. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Cheers. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Okay, that was Brian Cox. Now, let's talk a little bit more about this show. Now, I, you'll notice when you were giving your little testimonials uh, just a moment ago, I, I was markedly silent. And this is because I'm one of the few people who doesn't get <laughs> yeah. it. So... When did you get into succession? Where did I get into succession? <laughs> Never. Well, uh, I, I was today years old. Um, no, it, so as you all know, or people who listen to the Pilot TV podcast will know, uh, I watched the first six episodes of this because I, I watched the first couple. I'm like, oh, I don't, don't, I'm not feeling it. But we, so, no, no, you got to first. You got to get to episode six. It all gets good. Episode six. You, if, episode six will hook you. So watch all the way to episode six, and I still wasn't hooked, and so I just stopped. I didn't watch any of season two, I don't think. And then I watched the first one of season three for the podcast as well. Mm. And all the way through, I have struggled with why I don't like it. Because I like to think generally, there are some few very notable exceptions to this, that, you know, I, I get it. And I quite like the shows that, that a lot of people like. And this is such a phenomenon. And it feels very me, like, like a drama, like it's, it's, it's like dynastic politics. It seems something that I would love. And so... All the way through the first season, I was trying to to fathom what it was that I didn't like, and and that's what uh, where I came upon this Bell End test, which I have talked about in the past. Where I think for me to access a show, I need to root for a character. I need a character that I like, who who is not a Bell End and discusses things with other people who are not Bell Ends. So even if the show is largely populated <laughs> with Bell Ends, there's someone in there that you can root for. Yeah. And I was watching Succession. I'm like, I just loathe 
every single person in the show, like every single one of them. And it's all just degrees of awfulness. And even the best person in this is the worst person you'd ever meet. <laughs> and I just thought there's no access point for me. And I, and I always thought that was a problem until I had the revelation, I think last week on Pilot, that part of it is the, is the cringe humour. Because this is, so cringe comedy is something we're all very familiar with. It's something that's been used in The Office, Kirby and Theater, and lots of things are built on this. Mm. Cringe drama is something which I don't think I encounter anywhere near as much. But this is cringe drama to the extreme. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Is, it is really a comedy. I mean, that's the bottom line, I think. Just the darkest comedy it's, imaginable. Well, also, it's yeah. a comedy that happens to be an hour long, so that's, un that's unusual, and it happens to have lots of huge dramatic beats, and it has a, it has a dramatic slash possibly even tragic quality, like King Lear-ish you know, thing mm. going on. But I think it's the tone of it, and I think Jesse Armstrong's talked about this. It's set from the very from the remember the pilot was directed by Adam McKay, mm. a, a, a comedy yep. mostly a comedy director. Um, the whole team is a British comedy writers mm. who who you know wrote for um, things with Jesse, Jesse Armstrong before, whether it's um, Peep Show or um, uh, The Thick of It or Veep or whatever. And it's got that. So it, the whole tone of it is comedic, and every scene, e even the most awful big dramatic moments there's usually a comedic beat or line or quip or look even mm. that undermines the seriousness of it so i just think it's a comedy mm. and i mean I, it was almost means to get bogged down in a, in a, a genre discussion but i think the reason you don't like it or don't appreciate yeah. it is your famous aversion to comedy <laughs> as a genre, yeah. which is slightly yeah. exaggerated which is the subject of another podcast yeah. i feel <laughs> but i think that is the problem for you yeah because you're it is a cringe comedy really yeah. yes a lot to a large extent which is my which happens tonight. to be an hour long mm. Well, yeah. brilliant drama as well. Yeah. But tonally, being funny was Jesse Armstrong's bottom mm. line. It and, had to be funny. And he is, I mean, incredibly funny. Fresh Meat, very, very funny. Peep Show, very, very yeah. funny. Like, I think the thing with this is like watching it, it's one of these, is this my Terminator 2 thing? It's like, I know now why you cry. It's something I could never do. And this is this is it. This is 100% <laughs> it. Because I'm seeing this and like the performances are sublime. The writing is razor sharp. It is extraordinary. I mean, I revel in the memes and, and the gifts and all of that stuff. But I watch it and I... I am but if, unmoved. It threads the line brilliantly, though, because it is yeah. fun, hilarious. Yeah. And you're, I think you're probably right. It's primar primarily a comedy. But at the same time, there's beautiful, like, serious... The music is, like, dramatic music. Right. It's yeah. not doing wacky music at yeah. any point. And, and you get invested. You do get invested. And when Kendall stands up and is, like, enough after being beaten like a dog, you know, like a puppy or whatever for, for two seasons, he yeah. stands up. You People care about that. You're, like, emotionally invested. Yeah. Otherwise, the show wouldn't work. So, you know, you do get emotionally invested in a way that you don't in some cringe comedy I'd say peep show you don't get, have that emotional response yeah, to what's happening that's to the true. characters um, but yeah I, James your point about every character being awful is true but to me, there's something Shakespearean about this show as well, mm. and I think if you watch Macbeth, if you watch like a play production of Macbeth, the there's no one play. to the Scottish play. Sorry, I've jinxed us all. Um, but there's no one to root for in Macbeth, really, unless you're like Team Duncan, but no one cares about Duncan. <laughs> but, but you know, or well, you watch King Lear, and you've got all these characters, and yeah. they're all kind yeah. of flawed and awful in some yeah. way. And it's, so I don't think it's like unique to the yeah. show. I think they're actually drawing on yeah. some quite. Yeah, I don't remember when I studied Shakespeare um, at school university. The teacher's going, it has to be relatable. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's no, like, did they, did they ask you if Henry the Fourth Part One passed the Bell End test? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah I think. What, yeah, who cares? I mean, yeah, they're just brilliantly entertaining to watch. As, yeah. as many but moments. do you not feel it's sometimes sick. that you need an avatar, like you no, need someone no, who no. carries your interest, who you can no. latch on to? It's also no, because in in actuality, when you you do end up rooting for 
some characters over other characters. You absolutely do. Of course, they're all balanced. But you know, Roman, for example, I love Roman, and I th- and and I, again from from that um, live event at the festival hall, the, the premiere, he, he's definitely a if not the fan favorite. And I think because he his quips and observations and and his the looseness of his performance, you know, I just love watching Kieran Culkin performing that character yeah. and the the you know they give him seven or eight versions of his of his lines that he can go through. You know, different kind of versions of his brilliant quips and witticisms and in, the, in this series he takes the piss out of his his siblings and impersonates them you know he impersonates Shiv at one point all of that makes me feel and he has these moments throughout all the series so far all the episodes so far where it's rammed home that his father has treated him appallingly yeah. and is a bully and has been playing games with him and he that awareness your, aware, your awareness of that I think makes you root for him even though a huge amount of time he's treating everyone else like a cunt. So mm. Um, mm. I love Roman, and I, I and I, I think if I think I would I would enjoy talking to him and his humanity, even even all despite all the shit stuff he does, <laughs> is there. I think quite clearly, and I so I, I do root for him at various moments. In the uh, well, we will we will get on to your Roy avatar <laughs> of choice in, <laughs> in a short while. But but it, what interests me in this is that that this show has now got to a point where people like we meant you mentioned a wire earlier, but it's kind of talked about in those sentences people mention the Sopranos in succession they mention the wire in succession like they hold it up now as this is a show that in 10 years will be topping critics lists of the best TV shows of the 21st century do you think this is fair yes absolutely um because and I will say James is a woman thank you so much for taking something like the Bechdel test first the Bechdel test something <laughs> as pioneering and important <laughs> and ruining it in representation <laughs> of diversity in film and turning it in on yourself and and essentially soiling yeah. it yeah uh, and uh, <laughs> but no I, I think what this show does so wonderfully is um illustrates how these people in power and these people who have been these these intergenerational traumas are passed down to each other because something as well that we haven't touched on is that Logan was abused. That was something that is touched on ever so slightly in the first season. He was abused and even that is done so subtly in mm. such a blink and you'll miss it. I actually forgot until I went back and revised on this, I forgot that that is, that is something that happened. And then again, there's these kind of murmurs that that has been passed down to Roman especially. Uh, and then obviously you see it in an incredibly forthright angry way uh, unfurl on the screen in front of you in all kinds of malicious ways I mean I said on the pilot pod last last week this is a show that is redefining malice by every single episode Um, but it also shows how this intergenerational trauma how this power that is passed from hand to hand how things are swept under the rug is destroying the fundamentals of being a human like these characters and again this is this is something I said on the pilot pod last week they don't know how to have conversations with people they don't know how to interact with other people. Mm. And that is incredible show writing, not just in Jesse Armstrong, but the people who have come with him onto this show, is to to write into the show how to fail at being a, a fundamental human being mm. where they can't have conversations with anybody, not just people on their way, not just their, their family, not just the people who serve them, with anybody. They can't have conversations they can't show themselves as their their own fully formed selves. It's always layer upon layer of, of character and showmanship and cruelty. But they can never just have a regular conversation. And I think in that is is something so unique and such a unique presentation of of this. I mean, we are seeing a lot of like 
we've we've touched on it like torture the rich you know from succession to, to shows like the greats which is out at the moment which is which is a wonderful kind of takedown of the monarchy um but yeah this is this is showing just how damaging it can be to be in these these positions of power to show that vulnerability to show it in a way that is still can still a call it like a gasp laugh comedy this is not a kind of you know there's not the wacky music there's not the same beats that you have in in shows like peep show or you know or fresh meat but it is really gasp laugh shock comedy i mean bore on the floor we'll get into which is one of my favorite episodes <laughs> really does you are down on the floor with those people you are down on the floor looking up at this this machiavellian nightmare just like just just in awe of what you're watching happen in front of you and that that is that is groundbreaking to me on on so many levels i i completely concur that this is this is something we're going to be talking about for a long time it's something we haven't seen before it's something that's done to perfection and then again we'll get into performances i'm sure as well the performances from this ensemble are are very near perfect for me like like so finely tuned the heavy lifting they have to do mm. between them to show all these different layers is is just astonishing and how long have we waited between when was season two when did it air it was two well, we waited two years so it was two years and it was a year between one and two and then yeah. we've had two years yeah. between two yeah. and three do you think i mean you talked a little bit about this earlier boyd but do you think like it's building momentum do you think in terms of word of mouth that yeah. that more people have discovered it during lockdown, definitely. during the pandemic, and now so season three has got a whole new audience. Definitely, yeah. It's become, it, 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 you're, you're watching something becoming from from becoming a, a peak TV, whatever you want to call it, golden age of TV, a great example of that. You know, and there are loads of different shows that we could talk about that are, you know, have been outstanding in the last few years. But it's going from that. And I think it does, I think the two-year gap has helped. I think a lot of people got into it. Whereby, and it's now being talked about on This Morning, you know, on ITV. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think, I think it's turned into something a bit like The Wire in terms of mm-hmm. its, in terms of the kind of people who are watching it. And it's being completely embraced by critics into something that actually normal people are watching as well to the extent that they ever can have access to you know it's here it's on sky slash now yeah. in america it's on hbo but you know it's, it's so it's pay, you have to pay for it is the bottom line and anything you have to pay for is is ne- never going to be quite as all-round mm-hmm. um a phenomenon as i don't know as something on the bbc or whatever but within that context it's m- fucking massive yeah mm-hmm. and i think it is that it, it, people i think it is people the whole i think everything about the best said about the cast and the way they perform those roles and um just the sheer the huge level of entertainment that it's got um within the context of being about a bunch of absolute twats <laughs> is what has pushed it through to becoming this so we are yeah we're watching something turn into a, a, a massive huge gigantic thing yeah yeah now you speak of massive twats and i very much want to know which are your chosen twats. But before we do that, before we do that, I'm going to stop you there because it is time for another Roy. Uh, he is almost universally regarded as among the very biggest bellends orbiting the Roy family. But luckily for us, the man who plays him is nothing less than a delight. You can't make a tomlet without talking to Matthew McFadden. Uh, so that's exactly what we did. So Matthew, um, uh, the last time I saw you, mm. which was, I think we were talking about quiz. Yes. You just as an aside, you said... Um, you couldn't wait to start filming again, and it was the greatest thing ever to do this show. Yeah, um, was the filming of season three? Did it live up to you? I still feel like that. Right. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't. De- oh, yeah, I haven't deviated from that. Even though it was a different. I mean, it was, you know, like everything. It was, it was uh, more difficult to film with all those restrictions, and it was a bit less convivial, I suppose. But we did it, and 
And I don't think, and we probably, you know, because of travel restrictions, we were probably a bit more Manhattan bound than we might have been. But I don't feel like it's a, you know, it's affected it in a bad, in a bad way. It still oh, feels like succession. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in season, I feel in season three we get to see a little bit more, a little bit of another side to Tom, like yeah. his, his his you know his, this threat of prison hanging yeah. over him, and we get to see him being quiet. I think he's really haunted by it. Yeah, right. yeah, scary, yeah. really scary. Yeah, was that was that whole fun to to explore that that side? Too? Yeah, because they and I and I didn't go on, but I was talk, I think I was talking to John Brown and Tony Roach about the because there there are plenty of prison blogs that you can go on, you know, sort of work out what's coming for you. And so all that stuff, like toilet wine, and it's all real. Really? Yeah. So you can really leaf through. He's had, he has a, um, like a bound book. He's got a, a well, he has a prison consultant prison called Stephen. <laughs> of course he does. And I don't know whether that's true, but absolutely, I don't see why it shouldn't be. No. no. So that, you know. Yeah, he's going to go to the prison near the Jewish one upstate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm right. really interested in the Jewish one. Though. Yeah, I think there's a really posh one that Wesley Snipes went to, which was sort of Otis, Otisville. You know, it's sort of amazing. <laughs> anyway, which is, but... Um, yeah, it's the sort of you know, it's the white collar crisis, sort of tax evasion, and yeah. you know, yeah. a bit of fraud. And but you have a pool table, maybe even a swimming pool, vending machines. Wow. Like that. Well, okay, so I'm not going to feel that. Sorry for it. That, <laughs> no. the threat of that hovering. Yeah, everywhere. but that's still scary. I think yes. for Tom, you know. Yes, sure. And I found you know when he says, you know, how late can I read and stuff? It's sort of heartbreaking because he, he's thinking, oh, do I have to go to the toilet in front of anybody else? Or right, right. It's scary. And it's also interesting that Shiv is, you're, you, you, is that Thomas refusing to say he loves you to when Shiv's asking him if he loves, loves her in the, in the first couple yeah. of episodes at least. What's going on there? I think they're still reeling from the scene on the beach and also her, her sort of throwing him under the bus a bit in the, in the sort of big conference scene on the yacht. Yeah. I think he's really rocked by that. Um, I mean, he's endlessly rocked by her since they've been together, I suppose, but that's really, you know, he's sort of, he's going to take the fall for the company. And then they haven't had time to sort of digest that or talk about it, I suppose, because they're right into crisis mode after Kendall's betrayal. So yeah, it's really, yeah, it's, he's not, he's not on solid ground at all, I'd say. And I feel like the scenes where he's back with Cousin Greg are like, he's, he, there he really get at least he gets to have fun <laughs> at, at Cousin Greg's expense. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it, yeah, exactly. And the, but then it's a sort of weird fear of maybe Greg, outgrowing him or you know yes. that still lingers you know like he would I think Tom would quite like to see Greg do well and have a hand in you know you know he's, he would sort of imagine Greg thanking Tom later in life saying Tom Wamskans made me the man I am and, right. and actually but he doesn't want to lose you know yeah yeah it's like really a like, perverse yeah. bromance isn't it almost yeah. yeah yeah I think he really likes I think he really sort of cares about Greg um, do, do the do do the writers talk to you about how your your arc to use that word of the character before you know before season three? Did you know the trajectory of where you're going, or do you like to keep it a little bit, but not specifics? And so Jesse and I had a had a lovely chat before we started shooting, but it wasn't nothing felt sort of definite. And actually, I never feel um, maybe I should, but I just don't. I never feel precious about certainly not an episodic TV because it's not. I don't feel proprietorial about it because it's not my character in a way. It's there. It's theirs. And I just, I do what comes my way. And that's the, that's the joy of it for me is just going, okay, you know, unless something really doesn't ring true, but it never, never doesn't because they're so, they're so wonderful. Um, so I'm quite happy to sort of, I had a sort of idea, but I was more than happy for it to change or deviate or, you know, be something else. So, um, and I quite like getting the scripts at the last minute and going, okay, 
let's do this, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I ask you the, the hoary old relatable question? People mm. bring this up about, you know, the characters are all horrendous. Yes. And, I mean, Tom is, to some extent, a bellend, if I can use that. that He's an absolute bellend. Absolute bellend. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, when I meet people who are like, can't watch it because it's all bellends, I'm like, but these bands are so entertaining. It's yeah. So fun to be I mean, with. apart from anything else, it's funny. Right. I mean, it's funny. It's really deeply funny and interesting, you know, and... And then there are sort of bigger questions about extremes of wealth, power, and the media's influence on, you know, a, a, a media, a huge media empire controlled by one family, essentially. The, that ultimately, what that what makes changes the way people vote and think and act and behave towards other people and all the rest of it. So that's all fascinating. But really, it's the family thing, I think, and. I think people are fascinated by extremes of wealth and power, but actually they're really, what's compelling is that's my dad or that's my sister or that's my weird little brother or that's, you know, that's the sort of, and how that works and and a sort of lack of love or lack of attention or absence of love, how that makes people behave. I'm waffling, but that's, that's the, that's the thing that make, that interests me, I think. Yeah. And Tom feels like, because yeah. he's an outsider, that he seems to be drawn to the fascination of being hanging around. Yeah, characters. and I think he observes more than we think, maybe, right. or more than he, you know, and Greg as well, um, because they're not, they don't have, they haven't had that sort of odd upbringing that the siblings have. And it's deeply weird, their upbringing. You know, they would have gone, God knows, you know, various sort of elite boarding schools or East Coast, you know, where, yeah. wherever, and sort of jumping around from house to house and a sort of, strange absent mother and absent father anyway but that's that's fascinating i think watching uh, watching watching this series uh, right again again how incredibly um authentic it feels every single step of the way like every scene you're thrust in the middle of the world and uh, yeah. and it's not just the surroundings but just you know the way you speak the dialogue the naturalism of the acting and the direction that's yeah. almost like sometimes documentary feel yeah what's the secret of getting it that feeling that authentic and real do you think i think I don't know. I think Adam, well, Adam McKay has a lot to, I mean, he sort of set the tone for the show, the pilot, uh, and it was scary and exciting to do it like that. You know, we would improvise. Well, we wouldn't improvise. He would, we would sort of do freebie takes and he would shout things out. So it felt very fluid and he created an atmosphere where you didn't feel afraid to fuck it up, you know, because you could, you could try something and, you know, it's sort of the right to fail. So it's a really nice, so you don't start a take thinking, oh, I've got to get this right. You sort of go, well, let's see what happens. And it's energy, it's sort of galvanizing in that way. And we've stayed, it's stayed like that. And we do these sort of great big grandstanding 11 page scenes often that Jesse and his gang write. And they're just thrilling to play. It feels like doing a play. Right. Um, and you have three cameras who are picking up stuff. So you're always on, but it's not that sort of conventional close up, wide, close up, you know, single. So you think, oh, I might be on, I might be off. But you have to, as an actor, you're on throughout the whole take you know and you're paying attention to the other actors so it's it's just lovely it's great it's great fun mm. to shoot but you i think your performance is fascinating because i often feel like you're doing strange things like with your with you know when you're when you're being tom like you you don't you're looking around and it's, it's difficult to my finger but yeah. do you do you think about what you're about to do when you're doing a big scene with tom or do you just let it go and you i sort of, of try and let it go right. yeah right. i mean sometimes i have little ideas but usually the ideas you have before go out the window because you're yeah. what's interesting is like you know if i've got a scene with sarah i can't wait to to run it with her and start shooting because i don't know what she what she does sort of informs what i do and right. vice versa right you know and same with nick and everybody 
you know, and it's not, you know, you come and do a scene with Brian and Tom's so frightened of Brian, yes. you know, that it's just, I don't have to bring much, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, or like, I don't know, like the scene with, you know, the, the wonderful sequence in the Senate hearings. It was sort of wonderful because you, there was no preparation required, no imagination required really, because you're there in this set being fired these questions and you've got this magic dialogue, this excruciating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it's just great. Yeah. It is a bit like a comedy of excruciation, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, got yeah. that thing in comedy. Comedy like, of cringe. Yeah, yeah, comedy of cringe, The Office and things like that. Yeah. The, and yet the, the drama as well. That is a, I don't think there's ever been a show quite that's quite mind those two elements. Yeah, it's together. a real trick, isn't it? To get yeah. Because it's not just, you know, yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of quite affecting and quite moving at points yeah. and almost farcical at others. Yeah. And then, and then, Un, sometimes unwatchable, you know, in the way that The Office is painful. To yeah. Watch, you know, you could have a sitcom just you and Cousin Greg together, I think, would be an yeah. offshoot. Yeah. Like a half or Connor and Willa are a great, I mean, it's, that's just they are amazing. gold. Yeah. They are. They are amazing. Yeah. Can you tell, without spoiling anything, is there, there, there a couple of scenes, a scene in, in season three that was just particularly fun to film? I love the scene with Nick, who plays Greg, in his office where... It's a sort of Nero and Sporus scene. I don't know if you remember that. It's where he's been reading a book. Yeah. He bought a book to read in prison and it's all about Nero and Sporus. And yeah. Sporus is a slave boy of Nero's who he makes, he kills his, Nero kills his wife and makes Sporus his wife, dresses him up as his wife, as his dead wife. Yeah. And he says to Greg, I'd castrate you and marry you in a heartbeat. And Greg just doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> That's a scene, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. So there's things like that. That's another example of not you can't overthink that scene because it's just it sort of looks after you. It's like yeah. let's just say it, see yeah. what happens. You know? yeah, yeah. Um the fans of the show are absolutely invested, like yeah. more than most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made a joke in the States on a on a chat show about because often you if you get stopped, sometimes people say, Oh, can I have a you know have a selfie? But often I'd get stopped when we're shooting season two. In in um, New York, and people would say, "Well, hey, when's it cut? When's it back?" And they'd want to know. They were sort of, they weren't really bothered about me or getting an autograph or whatever. They just want to know when it come. Are you sure? Are you sure it's going to be in New York? Okay, okay, okay. He said he said it's October. So okay, okay, bye bye. <laughs> so it wasn't. That's and that actually that's fantastic because yeah. it means it's working and there's a you know has some traction. And it, clearly, the writers are now that we know you, the cast members so well that they seem to be writing yeah. for you and for your strengths. Do you do you get that? I do. Yeah, yeah. That's really thrilling because you don't know. You think, well, what's going to? It's like um, Jerry and Roman is a great example, and which is completely true. And they just sort of checked out each other's asses. <laughs> one, you know, and, and the writers spotted it and thought, how brilliant! Yeah. What a brilliant sort of subplot. Yeah, burgeoning weird. It's fantastic. You know, isn't it? Yeah. That, thing between yeah. those two, you, you could you could check some a, a random cast member's ass. I know if you, want, if you wanted to advance it's that just, relationship. Just stop looking at people's ears. <laughs> Who would you choose? <laughs> Sorry, thank you, Greg. Yeah. Greg, of course, yeah, it has yeah. to be Greg. Yeah, yeah. when you're already Working checking out, out yeah, yeah, you're already yeah. checking out his ass. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Thanks, my feelings. Thanks, thank you. Nice to see you. Okay, so that is two members of the greater Roy family we've spoken to. Uh, so I have a question to ask each of you. And it was put to me recently that succession is a dark mirror. Uh, to wit, uh, each of us apparently look into the kind of nightmarish cavalcade of colossal twats that is this show, and we all see the worst parts of ourselves in one of them. 
And that kind of resonates and makes you think that particular bellend is the least awful of the lot. So what I want to know from each of you right here, right now, is who is your favourite character? And of course, by extension, which one that makes you? Nick, let's start with you. Oh, good God. Uh, well, I, I, it's really hard. Like, there's so many good ones. Um, I've got a soft spot for Connor. Not enough people talk about Connor yes. Roy. I mean, I love that he just is forgotten about, even by his own father. He's like, oh, Connor's here. Um, and yet he has delusions of grandeur and thinks he can become president. And probably can, let's yeah. face it. Like, yeah. he probably can. But he's yeah. a dreadful, uh, he's a dreadful, awful man. The first pancake. But also, the first pancake. <laughs> but just so pitiable. But um, I don't know. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose Tom. I just think everything about Tom is perfect, including his surname, which is the most genius <laughs> character name, Wamsgam. It's like, just even, a, it's just hilariously awful and clumsy like he is. And uh, I don't know, I just, I just think he's a brilliant character. There's this whole rich ecosystem that they've created of, of power dynamics. And he is so at the bottom that only Greg, he has to bully Greg because there's no one left. Yeah. Um, and just the, the ma- terrible marriage he has with Shiv and, and just that he's a clown, but there's sadness to him. There's, oh, I've just realized this has made me Tom by picking him. <laughs> you've, you've become I Tom. I told you were Tom at the beginning. I don't want to be we Tom. <laughs> Why am I Tom? Tom? As someone with an unusual surname yes. himself that is difficult to say, Why? I guess I'm Tom Wamsgum. Wow. <laughs> So there it's we go. A moment of great revelation for you next. Yeah. Self awareness has dawned upon you. Yeah. You are Empire's Tom. I have whipped up a Tomlet and I'll, I'll tuck into it. But yeah, um, yeah he's he's. Does just... that mean James is your cousin Greg? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that seems... no comment. Oh no comment. Um, yeah, no comment. No comment. Yeah, no comment. You don't have to no. say that. <laughs> So just don't comment just don't, don't comment, don't just don't comment. comment. Um, but yeah I, I just think whenever Tom is in a scene I'm watching him and that's saying something because mm. everyone in the, every scene is brilliant so there we go okay okay Beth yeah I, I mean I will say Succession has ruined the 2005 Pride and Prejudice to me which I used to have a real <laughs> soft spot for I used to live Mr Darcy's awful oh my god and he, you know he strode over through the mist and now all I see is Tom it, like it's, it's all ruined but um <laughs> For me, it, it is an impossible question. It is. I, I have such a fondness for each and every one of them, which say that about me what you must. Uh, but for me, it's Greg. It's Cousin Greg. Is it? I just love his trajectory. I love that he is just, he's this perpetual puppy dog that's being slapped on the nose. And just what comes out of his mouth every time that newspaper whacks him just fills me with <laughs> such joy like if everything he says i mean there's something i think we're we're past the episode in this but uh there's there's a recent um like scene in which he's he's trying to find out a way to affectionately sue somebody <laughs> to sort of mildly make a point of his his status without actually doing them any harm um and he's just the most inherently soppy dumb person also what an introduction to that character where he's chundering out of the eyes of a large plush just sort of theme park toy. I forget, it was like a puppy dog and he's he's really high on weed and just projectile vomits out of the eyes <laughs> of it. What a character entrance. So I've just I've just loved his sort of soppy, stupid presence throughout this, which I think 
you know, people downplay it because he's not as malicious and fast talking and and driven as everybody else. He's just this this dickhead. He's at the right place at the right time, and that's that's his whole character. But what he's been able to do with that character and with that performance for me is is astonishing. I love it. And also special shout out to Nicholas Braun, who was like a savior of lockdown for me. Yeah. He um, did this amazing song yeah. called Antibodies. Yeah. Which I implore you to see yeah, I, if you haven't seen already. I urge everyone to watch Antibodies, the, the music video. It can only be described as an erotic power ballad urging people to get vaccinated and it is as far as I can tell done entirely sincerely without any irony and it is incredible I've probably watched it ten times yeah 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 so yeah yeah cousin Greg for me you, you watch Zola I'm assuming yes yeah I see I wondered why because Zola seemed like an odd choice for him because that was a very Greg-esque character mm. and I wonder whether he's maybe in danger of getting himself entrenched in that kind of role whereas I suspect he's got a far greater range than playing like the hapless fuckwit yes yeah but when you are six foot seven <laughs> And Speaking he looks like as the that. antithesis. Yeah, as a, as a five foot six um, person. There, it's, it's a bit like saying to Stephen Merchant, you know, yeah. oh, why aren't you playing more? You know, I, I think those kind of people, those people know, are aware that there's, only, there's a certain limit. His physicality lends Yeah, himself. I think he embraces yeah. the, the those characters that he gets mm. cast as. I mean, he's, but what I love about, I, I was thinking of picking him as well as my, but what I love about his, the way they um, incorporate him into the show is Greg, right from the very beginning, just kind of tumbles into the Roy family, doesn't he? He kind of just mm. kind of like ends up ac- almost accidentally becoming a key part of mm. the inner circle and just kind of is pushed from from one to the other. Like, for example, the fact that he's ended up in, in the beginning of season three with Kendall in that car as talking about, you know, no comment, no comment. I couldn't even work out how he ended up with Kendall, really. <laughs> the righteous, like, the righteous yeah. car. How was it kind of, because obviously he was with Tom, you know, him and Tom were like the inseparable double act. And oh. then somehow between the ending of um, season two and the beginning of season three, he's, he's completely become attached. Um, I think it's accidental. I think I don't, it's yeah. right. But that's yeah. the thing. I love the way he accidentally does end up with, and there's a and there's scene in, um, in this season, I can't remember what episode it is, where he has to have a big meeting with Logan. And he's worries about, and Logan offers him an alcoholic drink and he's doesn't know what to do and it's a complete disaster and now it's like why is he ended up with Logan why is Logan I, dealing I with love, this yeah you know? his interaction with Logan is yeah, amazing it's amazing but he's a sweet summer child isn't he there's an innocence yeah, to him and he's, he tries so hard yeah. and the more he tries the worse it is to watch of and course. when he's writing down tweets or when he mentions that he's been writing down yeah. tweets it's yeah, just heartbreaking but hilarious yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah I mean in a different show Greg would have been like the avatar for the audience and right. he would have been the yeah, guy absolutely. who's not really from yeah. that world coming yeah. in and he'd probably be the main character but I love that they don't do that they yeah. just make yeah. him an absolute fuckwit yeah, totally. <laughs> and so he's the normal guy but he's just an absolute yeah. fuckwit yeah um, but as I alluded to earlier Roman I think I, I pick Roman and I think it's part, it's because I think Roman is the one who is aware of the fucking absurdity of the whole situation he is aware that you know he he's the one who refer he refers to quite a lot during seasons one and two the the obscenity of the family business you know he comments on the fascistic tv channel and he will you know in front of his dad and he will say whatever the fuck he wants to say in that way of kind of like quipping about everything that's going on the madness the obscenity of their of their whole company and corporation and way of life and he's constantly referring to it and gets away with it mm-hmm. um apart from the fact when when logan hits him around the face of course um, which is, and his moments like that, that moment when he is hit around the face and he has and he's reeling from that, or when when he brought forward the launch of the space shuttle, oh my god, which exploded, you know, him that performance, he is fucking amazing in yeah. that, you know, he just the shock, um, and, and not knowing what to do and how to handle that moment in that episode, I think 
it was was it the penultimate or season finale mm. of season two, is incredible. So I, I love Roma. I love his performance, and I think his he gets the best lines mm. a lot of the time. Um, and just I think and I identify with the fact that he can he can he can acknowledge the the madness and the obscenity whilst also being an absolute part of it and going along yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, and of course, his relationship with Jerry has become oh, one of the greatest God. things, Another and yet another one of the greatest things about this show. <sighs> and the two of them together are f- absolutely phenomenal. But he's, he's almost like built a career around that kind of sharp-tongued, slightly acidic, you know, going back to yeah. Igby Goes yeah. Down. Oh, yeah. And even Scott Pilgrim, you know, he still carries Definitely. that. And he does it very yeah. well. Yeah. He's oh, the, the casting, you talked about the performances are perfect. It's the the casting is perfect because yeah. all of these yeah. all of these actors are absolutely just you perfect they're just embodying mm. these yeah. characters and he mm. him as much as anyone because I feel like this is a show that its very existence hinges on pitch perfect casting like it dies 100%. on its ass so easily with one misstep totally and there is no misstep. No. And it's so brilliantly cast. Because remember, Jeremy Strong wasn't a big star. I mean, he's probably one of the less well-known. Yeah. 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 And he's really the, the lead character, if there is one. You know, he's he's the one. Who, he's perfect. Know, he's per- And he's he is yeah. absolutely fucking perfect. Yeah. yeah. For me, Brian Cox, though, is, is the masterstroke sure. here. Because his personality, his presence, just dominates every scene he's in. I think that's, I mean, partly it's the nature of that character. But also, he has that kind of centre of gravity, doesn't he? My God, he like, the shot, there's the, the, I think it's the final shot of the opening credit sequence where you just see him from behind yes. sitting in a chair and his neck acting yeah. is yeah. fucking amazing it's like the best acting you've ever seen and he's like the cam- he's facing away from the camera Completely, but like yeah. just in that one yeah. shot you get everything about yeah. him and what's so, so, acting what's so interesting about that as well because he was famously meant to be he was, they were going to kill him off at the end of episode one was the yes. original plan then they were going to kill him off at the end of the first season was another plan but he is so fucking brilliant mm. yeah. and so phenomenal to watch he's such a presence and I think he's become like the father of the show because watching him when I did the junket and they're all milling around in corridors you, start, you see all the cast interacting with each other and I saw a moment where Kieran Culkin was interacting with him and they hugged and he's telling us talking to him like a like a dad yeah. Yeah. like he's his real dad yeah. mm. and you see like the, you know whenever I've seen the, the cast brought together you know for, for big Q&A's and stuff he's the one who takes charge it's mm. very interesting yeah. and I was he, he said in, in one interview recently um, that you know he was the only one who Jesse Armstrong told what was going to happen in season three and you know he gets he, he, he is the special one really he's on the inside it's interesting yeah. that, that, that so, and that, you know, I mean, they can't kill him off now because he's so well, fucking great. Tell me about that. So, was it like a Martin Sheen West Wing situation where they yeah. did the pilot and they were like, "We can't, yeah, lose this guy." Exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, you know, it's Don Corleone on steroids because you can't imagine Marlon Brando. You can't imagine Brian Cox as Logan holding a cat. He'd be throwing the cat against the wall. Yeah, he's yeah. just so fucking great in it, and all the, the dynamic all revolve around him. Like everyone wants his approval. Yeah. He he pretends to give yeah. it and then he takes it away, and everything orbits around him. Yeah, but it's the impossible. Games he plays with them, yeah, and, yeah. And, and and there's a palpable fear from them. they're all terror fucking terrified of yeah. him, and that is that that that's magical. Like it's very rare. I think you completely buy into the idea that every single person who comes in terms mm. of this fucking has this huge fear of him. And I'm not coming at this obviously as an expert, but certainly from what I watched on season three, what I find fascinating is how each of his kids completely go to pieces every time they have to speak to him. Yeah, like the like when Roman picks up the phone to talk to him about wanting to be CEO and just this. Parade of gibberish comes out of his mouth, yeah, and like, and he's very yeah. soft. And he's like, yeah, okay, son, okay, and gets off the phone. Romans out, yeah, like, it's just like, yeah, because yeah. well, he's like, yeah. love you, dad, yeah. 
Right, Roman's out. Yeah. There's a bit where Shiv has to give, does this big talk in season two when they're trying to buy that company from the, the kind of liberal media company. She does this big presentation with the with the brothers and she calls him a dinosaur. And the just the reaction mm. shot mm. of that, mm. his face, you know it's over. Yeah. It's fucking over and he's not going to talk to her probably ever again. <laughs> Maybe you'll forgive her in about a year's yeah. time. But yeah. that, the moment's like that. Brian Cox fucking hell. He just but yet, doesn't. yet when Kendall, you know, stands up to him and throws yeah. him under the the bus, you get a sense that he's happy about it. Yeah. It's so yeah. it's such yeah. an interesting yeah, a, weird that last shot, right? Yeah, of, where he's of, of like a flicker two. of a smile, it's a flicker yeah. of a smile. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's such interesting dynamics. Yeah. Like it's it always goes a different way to what you expect. Definitely. Well, Boyd, you mentioned Shiv. I think it's time that we hear from Shiv herself. You spoke to Sarah Snook, uh, and this is what happened. Can you put your finger on why the show's become such a phenomenon? It started out, I think everyone thought, oh, this is a really good show, and then it's built and built and built, and now yeah. season three, it feels like it's a phenomenon. Yeah, it's this. I think it's this combination, this magic sort of combination of brilliant writing and um, sort of seeming looseness and spontaneity and and characters that you just can't get enough of being mean to each other. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And she's talking of spontaneity. I feel like Shiv, some of the great scenes that you've done, where you almost don't know which way you're going to go, which way you know your Shiv is going to respond to a challenge set to her or mm. a decision she has to make on the spur mm. of the moment. How do you approach that? How do you make those scenes feel so kind of natural and real? I think it's about being present as much as possible and listening to the other characters, uh, other you know actors on set and their characters. And and part of it is you know so much of my job is done by everybody else on set. To be honest, it's just remaining in that present moment and 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 actively listening, and that you know part of that uh, spontaneity and and improvisational feel is is due to yes, we're allowed looseness and freebies and improv to a point, but you kind of just have to create you know the scene around where the main thrust of the scene is going because we're always on camera and so it always feels sort of energetic and it's really I mean I've, as an actor it's it's just it's been a gift. There's really, a scene, yeah. there's a, without spoiling, there's a scene in the new series, I think episode three, where you have, Shiv has to give a big address to the whole company mm. and that goes yeah. wildly wrong yeah. in various ways. And yeah. the camera kind of follows you afterwards and you really start to feel, I think, for Shiv at that point, like people feel sorry for her, which is an achievement considering all the things she does. Yeah. All the characters do. Totally. I mean, that's the thing. People, it, 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 I think it would take a very... Um, very un- specifically unlikable character for us to suffer their public humiliation. I think um, because we see these characters in such sort of uh, multifaceted human uh, qualities and 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 something that is you know very similar to us or maybe different or we see we recognize a, you know family member that perhaps is like you know one of the family members of the Roys that um, anyone suffering a public humiliation I think you end up feeling for. Yeah, absolutely. When you read that, it, when you read those, the script, you get the script, and you see a scene like that, like, you're like, oh, are you like punching in the air with an anticipation of how fun it's going to be to do? Or no, is it was, a challenge? It's a challenge. Right. That one in particular, like, I have to make a speech in front of people. There's <laughs> a lot of words. I'm going to have to read a lot of words at once, and I'm going to be the only one saying them. And I don't know, I much prefer having a dialogue with somebody right. because you have somebody to bounce off of, and you have somebody to sort of be a teammate and rely on and throw the ball to and know they'll throw it back. and and standing in front of a um a, a crowd you know <laughs> preaching uh is not my favorite no no fair enough we're talking of, it's interesting because i think like the whole show has pairs of duos isn't it, it kind of plays on and you mm. you and tom mm-hmm. you and matthew mcfadden have mm. this 
it is spectacularly odd and interesting and challenging relationship. Where is that going in season three? And does it surprise you every where that goes? With that? It does, yeah. I mean, one of the joys was reading you know all the new scripts and seeing how far the, the writers are going to push us into which direction. And um, yeah, I really think that it, it it's a it's a fantastic evolution of of this relationship, which has baffled a lot of audience members and and sometimes ourselves. Yes, because we've seen all kinds of we've seen like an attempted threesome, and you know, yeah, uh, I mean, that was spectacular. Yeah, yeah, just sort of like. <laughs> Yeah, and then offering an open marriage on, right. you know, on their wedding on night, the wedding night. just like really, the challenge as an actor and for Matthew and I together is, is being making these um, sort of outlandish uh, possible possibilities or potentialities to to make them as real as possible. And how actually would you deal with that request by your wife on on the wedding night? And how actually do you, as a potential wife, uh, you know, just a new wife, say that to your husband and um, I love that challenge, though. What a gift! Yeah, and I feel like Shiv is a, is, is a is a character who she's almost always just about to get to, to attain what she wants, mm-hmm. and then it's kind of not sideways by doing just making one wrong move. Like when you said the word dinosaur in in, yeah. in that season about your dad, yeah, and then when you announced too early that you were going to be made, um, yeah, and you see her in front of the whole that other company that you were trying to buy, like she's always just doing the wrong things, like which which is yeah. fascinating. Is that you? Do you would you rather she kind of has moments of great success that aren't that aren't actually common by those no. no, moments of almost success is, yeah. is far more fun to play. And I think that's you know smart with Jesse. They're just sort of like they tease it and they allow these characters to grow incrementally rather than in in, in sort of very satisfying but um, perhaps unrealistic leaps and bounds. It's interesting how this series deals with politics. I think a little bit more, perhaps, than the show has already. And there's, and, and particularly you, because you're the character. She's back, background is in politics, mm. and the way that she has to, I think, perhaps compromise her, her whatever belief she may have had is interesting. Yeah, you feel that? Yeah, definitely. I, I, certainly, in season three, that gets explored, and I think it's um, it's it's this thing for Shiv where she has to really uh, double down on where her alliances lie, and and and. Unfortunately, it's about it's a question just as much about where the power lies as it is where her you know family alliances lie. You've talked about how um, Shiv has an iconic moment in the series compared to some of the big. Is that is that was that the scene you talked about where you were addressing the company? Was there another scene? Oh, this is. More- I mean, it, look, it's it's uh, it felt more iconic perhaps to me because oh, okay. because because it was a different version of what we've seen Shiv right. do, but it also maybe harks to a, a, a past. Life of Shiv's maybe when she was in her twenties and and more rough around the edges or less buttoned up, less in control, less um, polished. Oh, interesting. Yeah, a bit of a catharsis moment. Oh, amazing! Right, you know, energy out. Oh, brilliant! Because in a way, she's quite mysterious in some We don't we don't know that much about what Mm. she's gone through. We kind of have ideas of what she might have gone through as being the daughter of. Logan, yeah, but it's yeah. not really spelt out, is it? No, and I think you know, in 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 the way that each of the siblings, in some sense, uh, have potential for chaos. Like Kendall, we've seen more publicly and as a character, and and also publicly in the world of Succession. But I think each of the siblings has has something in of that in them, and um, I'd be interested to see what she is or to know or discover what it is. When you're one of those big scenes with the with your siblings, particularly. Um, uh, Kieran, and you have to respond. And he's given lots of different like versions of wild things to say, and says that you yeah. sometimes have to stop yourself laughing. Responding yeah, absolutely. To it, <laughs> I mean, so much of that as well is like that's kind of where character sort of choices as as Shiv comes from as well. Like the side eye and the like blanking. It's like 
that is me trying not to laugh just as much as it is Shiv going, trying to shut him down. But uh, yeah, that's, it has to be a choice like that. Absolutely. And do you do you think th- those scenes where all like those scenes feel so special where the four of you, the four siblings, are all together in one room? Mm. I mean, episode two, I think, of the new season has a lot of that. Mm. And it feels like those are big moments. Do you do you kind of rehearse those much or do you just go straight into it and kind of let it feel, let it flow naturally? We do both. We we read the lines. I mean, and for most of the scenes, really, to be honest, depending on what no matter what they are, we, we read the lines, do a director's rehearsal, and then and then go into into the performance of the scene. But it, what it tends what tends to happen is it, it evolves and changes as we perform it and, and and create the scene and as we're getting the coverage. Because you've got all these cameras on you all the time, haven't you? Mm. So when you watch the show back, when you watch fin- the finished episode, are you often surprised by the choices? Yeah, that, that... absolutely. And and there's three cameras, so you can never know what's on you or when. And I mean, you get a sense, and you can you can feel them moving around, but they never feel um, uh, intrusive or, or too invasive at all. It, it feels like they're you know another character in the show. And when you got the scripts for season three, do you, are you surprised? But were you surprised by the way she she's arc, if you like that, where she goes and where she's taken by? Yeah, I think I've been more surprised by the um, the edit of it. Um, so insofar as the, the the final episodes and and seeing that put together as the arc of Shiv um, has, I think, um, illuminated a lot more for me. That's fantastic. And could you think of is there a, is there a, a line or a scene that was particularly fun for you, like the most fun? Either from this series or the ones we've already seen before. Um, what is the most fun? I mean, they're ah, oh, that's a bit of a spoiler. They're all pretty fun. Yeah, <laughs> like the ones that we get to hang out in the room together, like you know the four siblings or or the big dining table scenes when we're all at the. Actually, that was really fun. The Pierce, the Pierce dining table, Turnhaven, that oh, scene yeah. because you know Mark would call out, okay. Kieran's end and so that end of the table had to just have dinner and have a conversation and so there's just and you're on I was in the middle so I was on the edge of every kind of conversation and I could hear what the inventions and improvisations and and all of this sort of life going on around me was and it's uh, yeah it's just so much fun to to create and invent and in that scene where you make your big you yeah. misguided frankly announcement yeah do you do you clock do you clock like you know for example like Brian's facial expression his react how he's reacting oh that, yeah, yeah yeah I mean it's right dead in front of me and we're sort of shooting at the same time and uh, yeah white hot sort of fear and <laughs> there's a moment where afterwards where we hadn't actually it's not scripted but we um you know the deal is you play out until you call cut you don't sort of cut yourself and um we played it all out and at one point I think Brian was like just tapping on a glass it was like a death knell which just you can see in my face i think it's the, the, the take that they use is like ah yeah. you really cocked that one up yeah. that is you know that is not gonna work sarah yeah oh no <laughs> yeah that was a terrifying moment yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah he is and i wonder if, is that are those things in the script or is he just improvising the tapping that the glass? was that was improvised that's and that that's why it was as terrifying it was right. just the, the perfect simple not doing much don't know which choice to make from on you know from here but this is what he would do is what logan would do and shiv really understands what that means yeah <laughs> and it's interesting how different shiv is we're like for example with tom as mm. she is with her siblings or with her mm. dad it's like it's like a com- almost a completely different person sometimes yeah i mean that's the same with tom really as well like he's quite different with with whomever he's talking to whichever roy or or um greg you know, is quite different with Greg than he is with Shiv. And I think that's the same with, with you know, all the Roy siblings in some form. 
you know, they they have been taught to shapeshift in order to get what they want. Um, and some are more, you know, have more ease doing that. But um, I think she does that quite um, happily because it's, you know, it's a good way to get what you want. <laughs> what do you think she thinks of Tom and, uh, and Cousin Greg's relationship? Oh, I don't think <laughs> fine. I mean, yeah. I think she knows that Tom can be an asshole and I think she knows that he can be, um, you know, a bit of a bastard at work. I think those stories would not have, you know, not made made it to her ears. I think she's definitely aware of that and she probably likes it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> does, yeah. I mean, there's a killer somewhere. Because interestingly, we see like Tom in a friendship with him in, 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 in a weird Perverse friendship and slightly bullying friendship, but almost you two, you you and Tom, Shiv and Tom, is it's like a different feel altogether, isn't it? It's like, do you feel they even are have that friendship at the end the, yeah. of their marriage? I I I I wonder whether they have a friendship. If 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 they do, and I you know I do, I, no, that's not true. I do think they have a friendship, but I think it's built upon probably um, a rapport built on on um, putting down other people. You know, the, those people that you meet at parties who are more likely to talk about something negative than expect you all to jump in on the negative thing. And and I think that's a bit of a cheap way to, to build rapport. And it ends up building distrust between people and because uh, you might be the focus of that um, negativity at some some other point. And I think that's probably what's, you know, what's happened between Tom and Shiv. And kind yeah. of like they do have fun, but it's the expense of other people. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you and Matthew McFadden are you know you're an English and Australian speaking dialogue written mostly by British people to <laughs> Americans. Is that ever, yeah. ever is that ever like and somehow it, it works? Yes, but we there we do have um, uh, usually it's the, the continuity people um, Lisa and Holly that uh, really are quite um, particular on whether we are um, perhaps saying it. Britishism that is not a, a, what we would say in American, and then we have to make sure that the um, the patter sounds still American, as well as the accent. Um, but we've got a lot of support around us making sure that works. It's, and you know, it's just it's just fun to say British insults. I've got completely, yeah. <laughs> but with an American accent. <laughs> totally. Thank you. Cheers, Sarah. Thank you. Nice to meet. Okay, great. Right, we've already established that I'm in absolutely no position to comment on the best parts of Succession, having not seen most of it. But imagine you were trying to educate me. What would you guys say are the must-see episodes of this show? Like, what are the standouts? What is the what is the best of Succession? Oh, gosh. For me, it's anything where the Roys are on tour. Uh, always brings an extra shot of chaos uh, to this already very chaotic ensemble. Uh, definitely the hunting episode, which we touched on with Boar on the Floor. Uh, the second series, season, sorry. So that was another one, like, it, it It had a lasting impact on me. So I do my successions, we'd watch a few together. And then there would be, for the rest of the day, I'd feel quite weighted down huh. by the politics and the sheer cruelty on display in this show. And bore on the floor where it is, it is Brian Cox is the master puppeteer in his element and he's got his, his men on the string and he's literally got them lying on the floor to prove... I mean, it's it's such a physical manifestation. It is it is not a subtle. There's there's nothing subtle about this show. Let's be honest. But, but this was this was an extra knife twist, um, and and so cutthroat and so, but still glorious to see these these grown men, to see Tom, to see Greg, to see these these men vying for his attention and vying for power in such a transparent way. Scrabbling on the floor for his approval is. Um, 
yeah, it's kind of glorious. Uh, so I would definitely say the hunting episode, um, and the the Prague episode as well, where where it's Tom's um, the stag, uh, the stag, stag party. Yes. Yeah. Um, where oh, there's God. there's there's a real Roman at a shittiest <laughs> doing some really really wonderful power play um, there as well, and that also shines a light very honestly on Tom and Shiv's uh, marriage, which we have discussed slightly. That is just another example of how broken these this family is. Um, it, it plays out in this this relationship, and Tom is in by no means a saint, but but Shiv trying to have a what is seen as a normal marriage with this man. And it being just anything but and actually being really sad to watch and fall. And, and I think this episode's a really good example of that as well. Where it's cutting between Tom and Shiv and they're both kind of, they're exploring their open marriage and he's really worried and like tying himself in knots over about what's cheating and like feeding back information to her and she's just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. It's just like, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'd say episode, episode six of season one, uh, episode called Which Side Are You On? Which is the big boardroom uh, meeting, which yeah. is just this amazing sort of self-contained thing where they're all in the boardroom doing a vote of no confidence in Logan and um, Kendall is trying to get back there in time to put cast his vote and it's just genuinely really exciting and nail-biting. Um, but yeah, that's the one with the bomb threat as well, I yeah, think, yeah, where yeah. Yeah. Tom is yeah, Tom is upset that he's not in the proper safe room. There's <laughs> just all this ridiculous <laughs> yes. comedy. But it's coming between something genuinely really suspenseful and just silly at the same time. It's, it's yeah, that great. is the episode that, the, the, I think it went from great, great show to fucking astonishing. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. I would say L to the OG. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. This is the infamous rap one. Kendall's rap. Kendall's rap in the Dundee episode of season two where they go they go back to celebrate Logan's fifth anniversary of the company in his hometown of Dundee. And... Um, Every, that whole episode is phenomenal because um, Kendall is forced to confront the family of the person he effectively killed at the end of season one. Yeah. And then he performs this rap <laughs> to his dad. And it is abs- it's everything. It's got everything. It sums up everything about the show. It's fucking hilarious. It's the most cringe <laughs> thing in history. I think it would kill you. I don't know. It would kill you, Try and sit through it, Jay. That'll be an experiment. If you could film yourself <laughs> yeah. watching that, that would be gold. I, I need you to see this. Yeah. Especially the line, my boy Squiggle cooked up this beat, which is <laughs> <Yes>. just <laughs> yeah. amazing. So yeah. everything about it is extraordinary moment of television history it, uh, yeah. it's yeah. the it's the cuts to reaction shots of, yeah, reaction of Logan shots. sitting there yeah completely yeah, like, stone faced stone faced what is he thinking is he going to at all and acknowledge it, just, it? what's yeah. going on um, you've got Roman obviously loving it fucking just loving the awful again that's Roman kind of observing the excruciatingness of it oh. everyone just astonished and it's it is it's just a remarkable piece of work. Every single element and of it. It you, sums up the genius. It's of the giving show. me anxiety just hearing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you never, you never yeah. get a reaction from Logan. Like they never have yeah, a no, lot. There's no line. There's no, nothing. You yeah, right. never, never. Nothing. But you just, just yeah. you just can imagine. <laughs> just, yeah. You can imagine what's going through his mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just an awful scene. It's like this ultimate <laughs> act of like of of just. Uh, you know uh, what's the word he's doing groveling before his dad yeah and and trying to sing a rap about how cool his dad is and it's making it his dad respect him less with every yeah. with every awful stanza yeah yeah, yeah. and there's all I say there's a 40th birthday party I think it's called Too Much Birthday the episode coming mm. up I think it's episode 6 seven, or 7 you've seen it yeah. Beth. yeah again no spoilers but that is a, a, everything about the episode is it's a depiction of um, Kendall and his life and everything because he 
tries to create the, the perfect birthday in a gigantic way. <laughs> birthday <laughs> consultants, should we say, are, are myriad in that episode. Um, is, is an absolute classic. And of course, the, the whole yacht season two finale. Yeah. The whole yacht setting is fantastic. I love that episode. I've watched that episode about seven or eight times, I think. Um, and the build up to that climax, the one of the greatest climaxes to a season. I think that the ending of season two it also helped elevate the show to on another level because that's yeah. such a thrilling moment. Yeah. Such a dramatic, unexpected, brilliant yeah. reverse um, by Kendall. That it just yeah. is incredible. From from that episode, the the scene where they're all sitting around the table, yeah. betraying each other in front of each other, because yes. normally they're doing it behind each <laughs> right. other's backs. Yeah. And there's this brilliant scene where Logan just gets them all together, and he's like, "Right, we've got to make a blood sacrifice. We've got to lose somebody." Yeah. And everyone is just well, it's not even backs; it's front stabbing. Front yeah. stabbing. And it's yeah. just this glorious scene yeah. where Wives you're just stabbing like, husbands. Yeah. Just awful. Uh, brilliant. Mm. Love yeah. it. And the fact that this family can just then go back to being yeah. a family after that conversation. And yeah. it's just as much of family as we can use the word family yeah. in a band of people that oh. are related by blood. Um also Tom eating the chicken off Logan's <laughs> plate in the season finale is, is one of my favourite moments in the entire show. Yeah. Just this like frantic, fucked power play, and he just grabs Logan's chicken off the plate and eats it. And then when he walks away, he's like, just like my fuck oh, oh god, hang on, I've got the line. Um Yes. Uh, Logan is like, he ate my fucking chicken. What's next? Stick his cock in my potato salad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A super is, hands line yeah. if ever I fucking yeah. heard it. But yes, the chicken, the chicken is, is yeah. one of my absolute. I think that is one of the greatest words. lines because some, because a lot, a lot of the best lines are very, one of the brilliant things about it is that this cast can sell quite, quite contrived lines that yeah. are really spectacular pieces of heightened dialogue. But that is believable that he would come up with that. Yeah. And it's fucking hilarious and brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Should we have another Roy? Let's Why? have another Roy. Yeah. Uh, he is, as we have already discussed, the Roy Generation's first pancake, the eldest <laughs> child, Connor Roy, also known as the excellent Alan Rock. Alan, congratulations on an incredible third season of Succession. Thank you. When you first uh, got the role and you first you, you, you started in the pilot, did you ever think it would become this huge phenomenon that it has? No, I, I actually... Um, Because it was HBO, I knew that it would be top-notch. I knew it would be a quality show, but I had no idea about how it would be received. And when it was uh, initially released, um, the reviews were quite mixed, you know, because people didn't know quite what to make of us. And um, our producing director, Mark Mylod, who directs usually about like four of the, the 10 that we do, um, he said, well, we had to put down a lot of railroad track, you know, in the first, say, four episodes. We really had to put down a lot of track because there's so much story to tell and it's dense, you know. And then it was funny because people at the very beginning, uh, some critics said things like, I don't know what the show is and there's no one to root for and they're all miserable and why should I waste my time? And then when it got to be around the fifth episode, then these same people came around and said, they finally found their voice. And it was like, no, we knew what we were doing from the beginning. I think you've just you've caught on. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. If you go back and watch those early episodes again, it, it's all there. It's the, all there. The tone and the yeah. that, everything is there. As far as Connor's concerned, I think it's fair to say this season, one of the interesting things is without spoiling anything is that your presidential ambitions become more focused and there's more of a spotlight. There's some very interesting political yeah. stuff going on is that is that something you were you were thrilled by the you know the, the, the sense that Connor might actually have some possibility of doing this I yeah 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 I, I was thrilled I mean this has been an idea since the very beginning I mean since my first audition when I first met 
Adam McKay, that idea, that line was in the sides that I had in the audition, you know. And um, so this has been something that they've, that Jesse's been toying with from the very beginning. And how far he takes it, I don't know, you know, but I'll be happy to go for the ride. Um, uh, yeah, I have more to do this season. In the second season, I didn't have that much to do. I had a, a bit to do in the first season. Second season, I was just sort of around. This season, now I have more to do. And um, uh, yeah, he never let go of his political aspirations, even when the old man, you know, said, stop it, you're embarrassing me. And I'll give you the money if you drop this political bit. Connor never let go of it. And um, I, I just think it's what's really true. I mean, it's it's also pathetic. But with all the kids, it's all about what would make daddy proud. <laughs> it's, it, 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 you know, and I think that's why some people, most people relate to our show because there's similar dynamics in every family, you know, and um, but it's all about what would make the old man sit down and say, well done, boy, you know, yeah. and that's it. And that's all he wants, because Connor's never had a job in his whole damn life. And, and now he's like, well, what could I do that would make the old man proud or would make him need me? Because Connor's not needed anywhere by anyone. And so what would make the old man need me? How could I be useful to the old man? You know? And uh, so he's not going to let go of that very right. easily. Do you think, do you think Connor believes in, in, in anything? Has he got any big political philosophy that's underpinning this? Uh, it's whatever he hears on the radio or, or, or he, uh, you know, scrolls on his, his phone that morning. <laughs> that he's like, oh, wow, well, that's a mess. We've got to clear that up. You know, I actually think, I mean, people have styled him as a libertarian, which actually means many different things. There are many different types of libertarians, at least in the United States. You know, it actually started out as being, as you might imagine, quite a liberal point of view. And then it got kind of got co-opted by the, the neocons, you know. But uh, I mean, part of his plank is, is I've got my money. Leave me alone, you know. And uh, but I do think he actually is concerned about the environment because he's got this ranch out in New Mexico and there's this huge aquifer under the land and it's becoming it's reducing in size and it's becoming tainted, you know, with different uh, uh, pollutants and so forth. And so I actually think there are things like that that he's concerned about. One of the things that happens in season three, I think, again, without spoiling, is that we see the Roy's power and influence over politics, American politics, oh, yes, yes. Is writ large. Do you think that's, you know, is that an accurate portrayal of, of, of how powerful the media can be, particularly in channels like Fox News, et cetera, can be? Follow the money. <laughs> it, yeah. It's whoever has, you know, because they all want to be on television, all these politicians, and they all think they're so photogenic. <laughs> um, um but it, it, it's it's it, it, it costs so much money to run a political campaign of any level in the United States that um, they have to cozy up to some nefarious people sometimes. And, um, you know, the, the thing that's true about my country is is um, there's still a great deal of naivete about how the world works, you know. And um, there's there's still this thing that there's there's this sort of holdover image from World War II that we're the good guys, you know, and 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 we're making the world safe for democracy, 
and all this. And it's like, no, we're opening up markets for all of our corporations is what we're doing. You know, I mean, uh, um, and so it's it's I think it is quite accurate. And you know what? And since most of our writers are Brits, I think it takes an outside point of view to shine a light on what we're doing over there. Right. Because many times most of us can't see the forest for the trees, you know, yeah. so we're lucky that way. And Connor is like I feel like he's the, in some ways the most abused and put upon of the of the Roy kids. Yeah. Certainly, is it fun to play that that he's so that he's he has to suffer this often indignity the way he's treated by the rest of, by your siblings and by your dad. I'm thrilled to have the part. No, it is not fun <laughs> because it is not fun to be dismissed, even if it's pretend. You know, yeah. But uh, uh, I think in in this season, and maybe perhaps because uh, we've been picked up for four as well. But uh, perhaps in days to come, uh, uh, he will find more of his voice. Yeah, I think Connor's going to have the last laugh. I get the sense he might. He, a, a, at least he's going to have his say. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Alan Rock. It's very nice to meet you. you. Right, okay, that was Alan Rock. We are on the home stretch now. I guess what I want to ask you guys next is season three. Now, so Beth, you've seen seven episodes <laughs> yeah. of season three. Yeah. Boyd, you've also seen seven. Nick, you've seen the first one? Just one. one. You've just seen the first one. We will not be dropping any spoilers, fear not. But I guess what I want to ask from you guys is, you know, what do you make of this season? Like, is does it does it carry the torch? Does it live up to what seasons one or two? Is it going to fulfill the dreams of all these people who've you know, got onto this show over the last couple of years and are waiting for the next instalment. Like, what were your feelings? Uh, I had nothing but the highest of hopes, like exceptionally high hopes for this season. And it has met and surpassed every single one of them. Mm. Uh, my only reservation was, and it's because we've spoken about this cast who, you know, come from varying levels of fame, but generally not, especially in the US, like Matthew McFadden, he's, he's pretty big telly out to here, not so much in the US. When they started to bring in uh, names like uh, Alex Skarsgård, like uh, Adrian Brody, I was worried that it was going to become a little bit too embedded in sort of more famous sort of people coming in, but they've used both of them really well without giving anything away whatsoever. Academy Award winner, Fisher Stevens. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, but no, it has it has met and surpassed every expectation. I've loved the directors they've brought in this season. So our favourite, Boyd, of my favourite episodes so far, Too Much Birthday, is directed by uh, Lorraine Scafaria, who did Hustlers, one of my favourite films of, of this, like... Of ever. <laughs> and Kathy Yan as well. Um, she directed the third episode of this as well. So I like they're bringing in new talent behind the camera as well. And they're, they're pulling this off in droves. Um, they are, without spoiling anything, leaning into the best dynamics of the last season, I think. And also weeding out some really great moments for people like Jerry, who has just been a constant throughout this show, but gets to have some really great definitive moments as well. Um I just hope that they do keep Brian Cox. That's my thing. Mm. I mean, he's, uh, I suppose it's not really a spoiler to say he's still with us uh, <laughs> when we've when we've touched out here, but I hope that they keep him as long as they possibly can because I would gladly watch these people pick away each other till there's nothing left, basically. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because it's just such a gleeful, wonderful thing to watch. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm thrilled with how how much this is again just men exceeded all my expectations. 
Yeah, I think it's totally flying. I think that the, the the writers, Jesse and his team, are absolutely writing for the actors and their strengths to an extraordinary extent, finding new ways to... Season two was very much built around... Every episode in season two felt like a big event, like a kind of social occasion, a yeah. big dinner or a big mass gathering, a, a conference or something, and that was so clever. This time it's kind of like... This is more like season two mixed with season one. It doesn't follow... It doesn't work like that in the same way that every, every um, episode is a big event but it's more that every episode has these big huge coming together whether it's all the siblings gathering or whether it's logan having these massive interactions with his son um with with um with kendall which is built up to you know kind of your wait and finally you'll get them coming together at some point i just think it's absolutely flying you know what you know when a show goes from you know fantastic i've, I've been made this point a couple of times but i think everyone involved is aware they're working absolutely at the peak of their powers yeah and so it feels like it completely is reaching even another level from the already stunningly superb um, groundbreaking season two and I think everyone involved is aware they really have they know they're confident that this has reached a new peak mm. and I think it's the way that, the way they make it it's you know every scene is is like, is like a play filmed by three or four cameras capturing it's uniquely done to make it to make it special to make every scene work it's fucking arse off to make it an extraordinary watch yeah so it's incredible that this is from the from the guy who did Peep Show which yeah. I mean it's, it couldn't be more different but um, I've only seen the first episode of season three but uh, it gave me the line I'd like my Twitter to be off the hook from Kendall yeah. just that whole when, when Kendall are, I, I, I'm revising this you are 100% Kendall yeah, you're getting the Bojack guys in today. the Bojack guys have been you know, I've been trying to reach them um, I can't afford the Bojack guys yeah. So whoever's yeah. next down on the run, but uh, just the just just whenever Kendall, I don't know. The only thing more mortifying than Kendall when he's when he's down is Kendall when he's up. Like oh, yeah. I find it when he's just yeah. when because he, he it's like a sort of thing where he just goes to the right to the other end of the spectrum and he's yeah. super pumped up and cocky and you're just waiting for something good to go wrong. Yeah. And but, that happens. That pivot is constant through in season three. Yeah, yeah. It's con he's yeah. constantly going from one to the other, like yeah. on a massive high, fist pump to fucking whacked in his solar plexus, yeah. and he's reduced yeah. to like nothing. And it's it's yeah, but when he brings in his his uh, crisis social uh, media management team, oh, and it's just painful to watch, yeah. but brilliant. Uh, so I cannot wait to watch the rest of it. He has a line in, in, I think it's in episode one or two, where he says, I can't have weevils in the fucking flower sack. <laughs> and he sells that line, you know, I mean, how no one's going to come up with that in real life. I can't have weevils in the fucking flower sack, you know. Yeah. But he sells it and it works and only he can do it. And I think it's... it's and it's also just having cousin, the idea of having cousin Greg as your crisis guy. Like, <laughs> just what you, what, your judgment yeah. is so Step impaired. Yeah. You're you know, because you're yeah. rooting for Kendall, but yeah. Logan would yeah. never, like, he would get some competent yeah. people in. Like, he wouldn't get Greg. So, um, who, 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 <laughs> the line about it's a Pope, it's not the Pope, but a Pope yeah. has retweeted you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just. Well, him gathering his team, he meets up with these two, um, the two PR kind of advisors, these whiz kid, like, online um, people, yeah. these, this, the, these two women. And of course, he, he, uh, he, Kendall, Ken explains to them <laughs> what they should be doing when he's hiring yeah. them. Yeah. You know, uh, this is a pitch, and they like pitching these brothers. He doesn't let them, let them get the word yeah. in their it's, yeah. it's just That sums up his psychopathy as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's oh, just, it's yeah, it's up there with him listening to the Beastie Boys in the car in, yes. in season one, which is like that iconic shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. He is just, yeah, I'm Kendall. I've just realized I'm Kendall. <laughs> I find his eye lines fascinating. Like, I don't think like Kendall is always looking forty-five degrees down at the floor when yeah. he's talking. It's that hang they dog. can't do it. They yeah. can't have interactions with people. Yeah, yeah. They can't do it. They're, they're fucked. They're fucked. Can't <laughs> yeah. look you in the face. Can't yeah. have a normal conversation. Like that constant pivot to and from. Yeah. They're just. They're just. They're just 
they're stunted within an inch of their lives yeah. and they're just scrabbling for any source of validation that they can. Yeah, Roman mutters half his lines yeah. and you can, almost can't hear them sometimes. Yeah. And you have to, like, I, re, I found myself rewinding and to get just to get what he's fucking saying because he's muttering under his breath a lot of the time. Yeah. And you're right, and can't, can't full on establish eye contact, you know. Even with Jerry, this kind of mm. amazing weird thing that's going on between them, this kind of sex thing that's going on. He's mm. kind of like, can't actually look at full in the eye. Mm. He's kind of like pointing to the bedroom yeah. and, you know, suggesting things. It's all, you're right, it's incredibly fucked up. Every single person Roman's got that great sort of three degrees of irony like yeah. everything has got like yeah. three layers so he <laughs> yes. can't be sincere so the scene of him attempting phone sex with his girlfriend at the time yeah it's just and it's he's fascinating that, that he just cannot do a, a relationship because he can't be sincere like he he yeah. and I think because he's so wounded underneath it all yeah. that he has to right. just constantly be putting spins on stuff but he's a, he's amazing his his sarcasm is off the chain but yeah Kendall like a sad llama like a sad, sad like a sad, very rich llama. That's yeah. the vibe, it's the energy he's got. Yeah. Uh, that is amazing. One of the things I wanted to ask, obviously we talked a lot about Jesse Armstrong. We haven't mentioned this Lucy Preble, who mm. obviously responsible for wonderful things with Billy Piper, like I Hate Susie and Secret Diary of a Cool Girl. Now she's obviously writing on this. She co-exec produces. What does she bring to this, do you think? Oh, I think the whole writing team, it's full of, isn't it, of um, of, of just brilliantly witty, clever, smart, mostly British, Georgia Pritchett, another mm. one. Um, and I think it's just gathered this gang of 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 people who know how to write the best dialogue, who know how to who know how to make character trajectories and arcs make sense. Yeah. Like, well, I think one of the things I, I remember, I think it was it, it, I think I did a online um, event with um, with with a couple of the writers, and they were talking about how they con they they spent hours and hours and days and days together in the writers' room, making sure that every character's the thing that they do and the results of what they do, the cause and effect, and then what ends up happening to them is real and works yeah. and makes sense psychologically, yeah. and you know um, has an authenticity to it. And I think they're all part of that. I think it's just he's just gathered this extraordinary bunch of brilliantly smart, clever, funny people absolutely i mean you can see the fingerprints of succession all over the first episode especially of um i hate susie oh, which i maintain that is one of the most anxiety inducing episodes of television ever made <laughs> it's so good yeah. it, i would say it's more stressful than and this is a play by it's more stressful than the first season of succession altogether <laughs> because it's so honed in on the female experience and culminates in Billy piper doing a massive shit <laughs> Yeah. in a fur coat um, but yeah the fingerprints of that the, the way that she's able to extract chaos and make such a hugely it's a nightmare the mm. first episode of, of I Hit Susie is, is a personal nightmare for this person <laughs> played out in a very public way and that is exactly what she's she's brought into this like it is this is not comfortable viewing at any point. I never feel settled watching mm. Succession. I, mm. I do suggest if you've not watched it before, seek out an ally <laughs> for Succession. Somebody you ideally care about and can like fortify your sense of humanity by the time you finish. Because I'm never settled when I'm watching it. Mm. I'm always waiting for 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 something to to swirl up and cause cause more chaos. And I think, yeah, to be in that writing room, man, they must be constantly like kind of rubbing CBD oil on themselves. <laughs> like, They're all doing bore on the floor is what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I'm almost yeah. certain. <laughs> yeah. But you're right, that authenticity, you're right, that first scene of I Hate Susie, she, that authenticity, I think what what that scene, what that whole series, in fact, and Succession have in common is that it's one of the hardest things to get right, I think, in all of drama, in all of scripted TV, are things like a media photo shoot with a celebrity, which is mm. what that first episode is built around. Or in all the things in Succession, like, you know, a kind of, you know, the, the world 
world of the media and CNN that they depict in succession and yeah. how news whenever you see a newspaper depict a newsroom and it, it always feels it, more often than not it feels incredibly inauthentic and awful mm. but in the succession and in IHXs particularly in the only episode they get it so right I think it is to do with the hectic nature of it and the way it's directed and filmed as I say with you know in, in succession they don't tell them they don't yell cut at the end of a, of a scripted scene they let the characters carry on wow. doing what they're doing and you know that's how um, Jerry ended up with Roman because they ended up kind of flirting on, on in, after a scene really yeah that's how it that's all happens amazing. yeah there's a reference to in 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 my interviews with the cast like um, famously that I think she checked out his ass right uh, <laughs> the, the character of Jerry checked out um, Kieran Culkin's ass at the end of this scene when they were carrying on filming and then he did the same back to her and then they turned this into a, they, they built up the writers thought oh my god this flirtation between them is hilarious um, and Matthew McFadden talks about that how it all came from them checking out each other's asses um, and 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 he was and he talks about how they let them they let them do what they want to do they don't they just they don't rehearse much it's all, so that yeah. rea- realness is that a word and authenticity is unparalleled and I think that is that the other writers that have got the, the other work they've done that's clear in what they do as well that is uh, yeah a wicked a wicked relationship. What is it that is, is Jay Smith Cameron? What does she call him? It's like a slime puppy or something. Yes, yes, slime puppy. Yeah, slime brilliant. puppy. Yeah. And then he just like Which is very climaxes. Accurate, yeah. Oh, the show. Yeah. The show. <laughs> oh, well, uh, what better way than to tee up Jay Smith Cameron herself? Uh, because before we depart, we do have a final guest. Jerry Kelman, as we have mentioned, is the long suffering general counsel of Waystar Royco. Uh, and the voice of reason, would we say, to a certain extent? Certainly yeah. the one who clears up all the mess yeah um boyd once more ventured onto the breach and sat down with jay smith cameron and this is what happened jay i think it's fair to say that jerry has blossomed in the in the history of succession now by the time we've got to season three i think she's like a fan favorite of so many people did you think when you first got the role that she could be become this kind of huge figure in the show well um no but i mean you don't think that when it wait anyway when you're starting something you're just that your character is interesting to you and you're trying to advocate for your character and fill it out and make sure it's as full as the leads, you, you know, in your own mind, at least. And then um, I'm quite happy that people responded to her. That seems miraculous to me. But, but no, I didn't. I didn't anticipate it at all. Can I be the first to point out that your chemistry with Kieran Culkin is fantastic? <laughs> I don't know if you've heard. Thank you. Yeah. Um, apparently that all started when you were filming a scene and they just let the cameras keep running. Is that right? And well, Kieran tells it a little differently because we did. We always sort of flirt around on set like it's a joke. And he called me. Uh, he used to call me mommy girlfriend. Um, so. That was already kind of going on. But then we, yeah, we, the cameras kept rolling after we'd run out of dialogue and they didn't yell cut. And so we kind of had this flirtatious repartee. And then I walked off and I kind of snuck a look back at him. And when I turned around, he snuck a look back at me. And it, it kind of, everyone kind of got a kick out of it. And then it got written into season two. And clearly the makers of the show are loving it because like the, one of the posters was of you and him. Right. Yeah. So they're yeah. milking this quite right. I don't know if they're milking it. I think they're actually being very disciplined about it. I think Kieran and I would be quite happy to milk it. Right. I think they're being very good, you know, making judicious choices. And Jerry is a very mysterious figure, I think, because we don't really know that much about her, do we? Right. And is that, do you, do you, do you in your head have a whole backstory for her? I do. Um, and I worry sometimes that as I get comfortable and as I have more things to do in the show, that I'll lose some of that mystique because she does play everything so close to the vest. It's part of the fun of a character like that. But then I realized that when it when occasionally you do see something pop through, 
that that's really wild and fun. Like just when, you know, the bit when she's taking a picture of the TV screen for right. her daughters. There's such a side of Jerry you wouldn't imagine. Yeah, because and in a way that's a little bit of e- ego, isn't it? There, ego you know. and a little like a regular person. Like right. A regular person with regular feelings and she's chuffed that her name's on TV and like, you know. Yeah. So that's yeah. fun, but only if it's occasionally Right. happening. Right. right. And do you think she's, in a way, I think in a way people start starting to think that she is our way in. Like she is, people talk about how, you know, the characters are obnoxious and horrible, <laughs> but Jerry is, I think Jerry is probably competent and, you know, competent. possibly is the voice of reason. Yes. And I think uh, also just the fact that A, she's not a Roy, so she's not as disgusting disgustingly privileged as the rest of them. She's just an ordinary rich person. (laughs) (laughs) And the second thing is that I think one thing that I just started to do as a character, even from my audition, was to kind of, you know, grimace and and roll my... (laughs) Like, I react to them, maybe the way the audience is feeling, like, oh, my God. Like, on the one hand, I think the character's unflappable in in the deeper sense, but these, you know, these reactions do flicker across sometimes and I think that I imagine that's fun for people oh god yeah, because yeah. it's an outlet for how they're yeah. feeling and I also think you you somehow managed to talk to Logan in a way that no other character does that you're often quite harsh to him yeah I'm, I'm well, this scared. Season, right we, yes I think well I think that's why she's uh you know hung in there like I think that's why she survives as long as she has there is that he it's tricky because you can't be too bossy with him. But he does know that he's surrounded by yes men, except for Jerry. Right. So I think, I think there's he, a deep respect there in a way. For, yeah, he knows he needs that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, you, and do you ever get seduced by the fact that you are, as you say, you aren't one of the ultra-rich and privileged um, Roy family, but you are still in the middle of all this grandeur and luxury. Do you ever get seduced by that and think, I, I would quite like to live like this? Well, I mean, I, I think... You'd be hard pressed to find someone who wouldn't feel that way. But it's kind of there's something kind of gross about it. Like it's a little, it's a little much, you know. Right. More more than a little much. Yeah, I think this show proves shows that it's, yeah, the, the, it's, it's excessive the grossness and, of it. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird, yeah. and to have people waiting on you all the time. Yeah. Now we've got to season three. Do you think the writers um, uh, of the show are tailoring the, the the arcs of the characters more to to do specific actors? Like, do you know, are they? You know, is the way that Jerry's going influenced by what you're doing in your performance? I think for all of us, I think they, um, I think one of the reasons they leave the camera rolling like that, I I don't know that they would agree with this, but I I said to Brian the other day, it's like watching a National Geographic special and watching the animals (laughs) in their habitat, you know, and that they do get ideas or something because I, I do think they want that osmosis to happen. And they do, things do make their way into the show. Yeah. Little. And do you, and you are you influencing yourself in the way you behave? And I, I was there on Friday at the film festival in the way you and Kieran are on the red carpet. And it's almost like where's, where does that stop from your filming the show to real life? Well, and the show we're not so easy around each other at uh, all. Yeah, right. You know, he's even not easy. It's his, he's the one driving it, and she's always trying to steer it, manage it. Is how I think of it. And so it's always kind of shut down. And he's even afraid of it. Like he doesn't, if he makes a pass at Jerry, he's kind of not looking at her and he's kind of climbing up on his chair and, he, you know, he's squirming. So I think that it's just sort of a, a joke that then when we get together, it's hilarious that this we're old friends too. Right. So it's right. kind of a, a blast for us yeah. to think that of all unlikely couples that. Do you always know, he's, he, Kieran's given a lot of different um 
lines, isn't he? Often yeah. alternate lines to, of his outrageous yeah, rude. Yeah, he's our wunderkind. Do you, do, do, do you, are, you ever, are you ever surprised by what's coming out of his mouth as yeah. you're filming yeah. the show? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I've had a few times where I've had to, you know, bite my lip to keep from laughing. I bet, yeah. And can you tell us, do you have a favourite scene or line even that you can tell us? Well, I quite like Slime Puppy, <laughs> which I came up with. Did you? I did. Um, but there's a million of them. I mean, I just think, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I just think the show is, the writers are incredible. Like, I'm just blown away by them. Yeah. I mean, that's what everyone, that's what the, that's the end result of all this is the writers are just magnificent. And do you have strong feelings about where Jerry should go, um, you know, forward in the fourth season? Do, you know, do, would you even talk to, you know, the, the writers about that? Or do you let them do the whole thing and let them plot the... I am of the school of try to stay out of their hair, but every once in a while I have an impulse or a thought, n- not a big one, not one that would, you know, and I might, I might sort of shyly put an email to Jesse and sometimes, sometimes it helps, you know, or just, you know, it's just part of the mix. Or little little things like when we were talking about seeing Jerry's apartment for the first time, I had thoughts about what that what would what would be lying around or what would be you know. So I think from big to small, you do get ideas, and he, they, they always act like they're welcome to you know. I don't think I think they like it. Brilliant. And I think that is it for this succession-centered episode of the show. If you are not a regular listener, then the Pilot TV podcast lands every Monday, bringing you the latest news, reviews, and occasional interviews from all the latest quality TV shows. Think of us, if you will, as a lighthouse guiding you through the televisual fog of endless programming to, you know, the good stuff. Anyway, our regular show will return this Monday, where we'll be taking a look at Apple's Invasion, Stephen Merchant's Outlaws, and The Long Call with Ben Aldridge, who we had as a guest on last week's show. Uh, If you enjoyed this one, then do check that out. Uh, You can find us on social media at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, at Beth K. Webb, and at Nick DeSemlin. And you can find the all-new third season of Succession streaming on Sky Atlantic every Monday. Pilot out.